Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to the Bunker Daily with me, Andrew Harrison. It's a big week for unlocking because football is back. On the one hand, it's a major and grave step into the dark for professional sports as it takes risks it's never encountered before with its support staff and also the players who, as well as multi-million pound assets, are also human beings, many of them from the BAME communities who have been hit hardest by COVID. Also, it's a crucial moment in the messaging war over coronavirus. Are we unlocking too soon? Are we normalising larger gatherings? Are we dissipating the effectiveness of clear instructions? Are we being offered bread and circuses to take our eyes off the government's woeful pandemic response? On the other hand, football is back. Thank God I have been going insane without it. It's been worse than the worst possible August. And now we can all sit back and possibly watch Liverpool win the title. So is this all a good thing or a bad thing? Joining me is Bunker veteran, France football's England correspondent since 1999, biographer of Eric Cantona and Thierry Henry. It's Philippe Auclair. Hello, Philippe. How are you? I'm, I could be worse. I could be better, <laughs> like all of us, but I could be worse. There's a lot of it about, yes. Yes, there is. You wrote uh, an astonishing piece for Unheard, a very <laughs> astonishingly detailed piece, with the possibly leading headline, Top League Football is in League with the Devil. It was not could mine. You- I, I hasten to, you know, as, <laughs> as anybody who's uh, worked in journalism, uh, yes. titles, headlines, and subtitles and subheadlines are not the journalists. Yes. Uh, we work, don't but... write the headlines. Please don't complain to us. However, <laughs> could you possibly expand on that? Tell us, give us your um, assessment of how Top Flight Football has approached Project Restart, as it's known. Well, I think it has, the way it has approached it has really tested my love of football, uh, which is real, genuine, believe me. I think it has tested um, the love of football of many, many fans. And actually, on this, uh, in this respect, I, I was just reading in today's Observer, you know, they have these things uh, where they talk to uh, fans from each club and ask them to give their opinions about what's happening to their club and so on. These are people who are genuine fans who are generally mm. season ticket holders and so forth. And I was really struck to to see that, um, to the question, was it the right thing to restart? Well over half of them thought that it probably wasn't. Mm. Uh, and we're talking about the people who are the most passionate about the game. We're not talking about people who watch a game from time to time on television or look at the results. No, we're talking about people who spend quite a lot of money to go to the grounds. Mm. Um, but l- like them, I have been left distinctly unimpressed by what's happened. Um, first of all, the division it has shown within football uh, mm. in the UK and elsewhere, by the way, it is not something which is uh, which we should reduce to English football. And then again, the sense of priorities at which which are the priorities that um, football put first, so to speak, to use um, 
uh, it's a bit of a truism to say priorities you put first and which didn't seem to have much to do with the good of the game and uh, with the game at large and the game in general. And one thing that concerns me most, which is the one thing that runs throughout this piece I wrote for Unheard, it it is that um, this project we start, which concerns the Premier League and the Championship, quite surprisingly, mm-hmm. is something that shows elite football to be in a bubble. And in a bubble that, to be honest, is more and more detached from our reality, the reality of amateur football, the reality of football in the lower leagues, the reality of women's football, which has been mm. completely blanked out in this whole crisis. And not just in, in England, by the way, I, I have to say that again, it is not just England which is um, you know, in question here. And, and the fact that for some reason, football has been given a preferential treatment that other uh, sectors haven't, for reasons yeah. which for me remain quite mysterious, because I am a football fan, I'm a football fanatic, I make my living from football, and it is my personal interest, believe me, that mm. football restarts, because without football, like many of my freelance colleagues, and I'm a freelancer, I haven't had any work. Yeah, But that doesn't mean I feel that it should restart for my sake or the sake of my colleagues it's quite Mm. a different uh it's it's quite a different situation but it will restart on the 17th as you have seen of june with a couple of uh games which um, had to be staged which were uh delayed and postponed and then the first weekend of real action uh next weekend i mean you you start your unheard piece with the infamous quote from Dominic Raab, it will lift the spirit of the nation. Uh, do you think that the footballing authorities and the government are more concerned with that kind of nebulous thing than with the actual safety of players and participants and actually the robustness of football right down to the foundations? I mean, the idea that like mm. life is unbearable without football is that there's an element of truth in it, but ultimately, even the mo- as you said, the most dedicated football fans have still been able to get some perspective on this and say, is this necessarily the right thing to do? Well, uh, what what I miss the most, and perhaps you're the same as me and many of the people who love football um, and who are listening to this podcast, is going to the ground myself. That's what I miss the most. I, I miss the mm. communion of the crowd. I miss being being, being with my mates. Uh, I, I miss going to the pub with my friends after the game. I miss talking about the game that I've just seen, all these sort of things. I miss my walk to the, the stadium. These are the things I miss more than anything else. But that's not really the that's not really the point, is it? When it comes to the health of the players, I think on this side, I think we can be quite we can be reasonably confident that everything well, no, everything has been done. Let's be clear about that. Everything has been done to minimize the risk to an extent that footballers um, doing their job at the moment are amongst the lower risk uh, yeah. part of the population. Uh, they have been they are tested very regularly. Uh, you know, there were test results were just announced. Uh, another two positive cases, including a player from Norwich who won't be able to play in the first round of games, mm-hmm. uh, have been have been identified. But in terms of the safety of the players, I don't think there's a, there's much uh, to fear there. Uh, there was there was one point where you thought it would have been much too early, but uh, the, what has been put in place should protect the, the players' health, the players and the officials, by the way, and the staff. Uh, who will be present at the, those games, as well as the journalists, the few journalists, 25 of them, uh, mm-hmm. and, and broadcasting staff who will be there to, to cover the games for the nation, and, and not just for the nation, by the way. But in any case, the priority in, in, this, in all of this, and I think we, should, we all agree on this, it, it's got nothing to do with... I mean, some of it has to do with, yes, deflecting attention. Some of it has to provide bread and circuses, or rather circuses in this case, mm. uh, when things are not going exactly well elsewhere. 
the number one motivation when it comes to the Premier League itself is financial and economic, which is one thing uh, which is completely understandable. Uh, like every other sector of industry, as it is an industry, football wants to kick on again. But on the other hand, it is the one sector that financially could withstand the um, plight of COVID-19 for a yeah. few months and come out of it unhurt or just hurt a little bit, but had the means to survive it. It's the one which is getting mm. the help. And that is one of the things that's really great with me. Um, being somebody who's also got a, a foot in the performing arts, where this sector has been ravaged, is being absolutely yes. ravaged. And it's far there's more no important. There's no project restart for rock and roll, is no, there? There's no, 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 there's no project for clubs and gigs and so on. And, and, for, and for classical music and for theatres and, uh, and for, you know, they, this is, a, which is a tragedy because this is truly one of the sectors of industry uh, in the United Kingdom, which is bringing not just money, but also uh, which is doing an awful lot uh, of good for, for the, the country's reputation abroad. Uh, mm. I believe that it brings about £140 billion a year uh, to the economy, which is as much as the whole of the banking system put together. And I haven't heard much uh, being said to have a project restart for the creative industries. But there you go. Football doesn't represent that amount of money. It represents still billions of pounds. That's very true. So there, there it is. Uh, an element, an economic element uh, uh, to, to it. But I, be I mean, sincerely seen from, not just from the in outside, but the, um, the reason why it is restarting is first and foremost economic. I mean, for the clubs, I mean, they, 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 they're, they're going to take a big hit anyway. Uh, the Premier League clubs are going to take a big hit. The Championship club are, are going to take a big hit. And the clubs below are going to take an even bigger hit. And to be honest, I, I, if, if, if I were, you know, as forthright, I should be as forthright as I want, as I should be. I I, I believe that the number of um, clubs going under in the autumn is going to be, I mean, dozens, hundreds, perhaps. I mean, the whole fabric of English football is in danger at the moment. The whole fabric of it, yes. Do you do you, do you expect then name clubs with histories of decades are going to go? Do you think yep. we could be losing? Yeah, we could be losing some um, some clubs which might not be necessarily um, the most successful at the moment, but clubs which have been around for a very long time and clubs which are absolutely essential to the communities and um, which simply, which rely more or less on um, first and foremost on uh, gate receipts. Hmm. Um, and, and then um, television money is very, very little. As soon as you go beyond uh, the championship, uh, the money, I wouldn't say becomes minimal, but or non-existent, but it's it's far far less. And as soon as you go national league, which is fifth tier and below, uh, there is no TV money to speak of. To be re mm. to be apart from time to time the FA Cup and a couple of highlights programs, and that's that. But and and the sponsorships in, tend to be local businesses, uh, which of course are, are are going to be very very hardly hit. Have been very hardly hit. And and also will probably think twice about you know putting more money into a, a football club, and I could be I I I I really fear the worst, and I genuinely hope that there is a great a great effort coming from local authorities, from the government, and also from better placed football organisations, be it the FA or the Premier League, to help those clubs which are genuinely the uh, one of the foundations of their local communities, but which unfortunately. Uh, run a very, ser very serious, very real, real risk of going under 
very soon, actually. Well, this is part of a wider debate about what is the, you know, the relationship between government and business in general. I mean, to say it is now, as you know, in in a space of ten weeks, we've gone to it being entirely acceptable the idea that it's the purpose of government to support business and to keep business going. Yeah, that you know that government and a conservative government of all things should be printing money and borrowing heavily and providing income guarantees and all the things that were previously considered to be wild utopian, mad left wing ideas mm. or madly progressive ideas, and now sort of they're not exactly orthodoxy, but they're out in they're in the, they're a legitimate part of the conversation now. And do, do you think that that you know football clubs and you know the wider world of culture sh- should be part of that as well? well i i do believe so yes um i mean the problem is that of course um the amount of money which you can raise and borrow is not infinite uh, unfortunately Mm. um and that there has to be priorities but in the case of football if you look at the economy of football in general um the it's very much a top-down driven economically speaking industry um the money which trickles down from the very top of the game to the roots of the game is actually very, very small. Uh, it's almost non-existent, actually, when you think about it. And you, you'll always have you know, examples of a big club uh, paying compensation to a player who had come through this very small club, things like that. You'll hear about community programs and some clubs who have wonderful community programs and actually do help football beyond their own boundaries mm-hmm. uh, and so on. And this is absolutely true. I mean, I really don't want this. This is why I had a little bit of a problem with the subtitle of because <laughs> I don't think that football is evil. I don't think the Premier League is evil. Far from it. I think the Premier League is uh, at times problematic and <laughs> and it is at this moment, but it's not evil. I wouldn't go yes. that far. Um, and, and there are no mechanisms in place to protect the football, which for me is participation sport, and it, which is another thing which absolutely astounds me, because I mean this this is not log far this is not far fetched, but it really, if you look at, we're told, for example, that the effect of the virus has been far more severe on people who suffer who are overweight or obese, right? We all know that this country has got a problem with people being overweight and obese and not, you know, basically having enough physical activity. Football is one of the games that people engage in the most. I mean, it's millions of people play football and they, mm. they might have, you know, a license from the FA. They might not. They might just be playing in the park. And for me, the idea that the parks are devoid of people playing 11 v 11 and that the stadiums, uh, which are Premier League stadiums, have got games going on in them with no public, there is something which really shocks me. Yeah. Uh, in this, and, and this, uh, perhaps people will say, well, you are a bit naive or you're a bit utopian, but I genuinely do believe that elite football is uh, first and foremost an emanation of the pyramid. It is the top level of the pyramid. And if you do not have a foundation, there's no reason why this tip should be there. The, this is for me the, the moral justification for the Premier League. It is the best of the best. Mm. But there, but there is to be, there has to be a rest. It's got to be the best of the best and the rest. It has to be yeah. together. And at the moment, you don't get the feeling that this is the case. This might change. Um, you know, as we as we go on and as the lockdown rules are, are, are relaxed and we all hope and pray that there is no going to be no second wave and we're going to be okay at least for a few months and that, you know, perhaps things can go back to normal in that respect as well. Uh, if that were another case and I come back to that, it would be an absolute catastrophe for football because, again, I, I cannot stress that enough. Most of the clubs, and I think there are about 5,300 clubs which are... Um, uh, basically licensed uh, with the FA, uh, which exists mm. officially. I'm not talking about 
pub sites or Sunday sites. I'm talking about clubs which exist as clubs, 5,300. You know, we're talking about a, a, an, a, an inf infinitesimal minority hmm. here. If we don't have in place mechanisms which ensure that the rest is not taken care of, I mean, the, the consequences could be absolutely dire. I mean, really, really, really dire. I want to move on to ask about to talk about things from a footballing point of view because this is going to be completely unlike the beginning or mid part of any season there has ever been. Oh yeah, and players have been, uh, you know, separated from their clubs. They've had to isolate. They've they've been back in training for some time, but they'll, they'll be mentally disconnected. They'll mm -hmm. be, you know, it's possible they're going to be out of condition, and they're certainly going to be kind of mentally off their game. What are you expecting in terms of performance? Very, very hard to tell. And of course, we would all be tempted to look at Germany and what has happened there mm. and to say, well, Bundesliga started again. Uh, the level of the games has been actually pretty damn good uh, mm. overall. Uh, there have been some very strange things happening, such as the fact that there have been more away wins than home wins so far, which is crazy, mm. really. Um, but what we shouldn't forget is that the hiatus in the German season was much, much shorter. Mm. And also that the way in which the German clubs went about their own project restart was slightly different. In, oh, it's slightly different, totally different in so many ways, because, for example, women's football as well is restarting and, and third division football is restarting in Germany as well as level one and level two. But they uh, had more time uh, to get ready. Uh, they had more time to train together in contact training, full contact training. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the, the difference between you know, an extra month's rest and, and, and no month's rest is, you know, we don't, we don't know. At this stage, we don't know. Uh, there have already been a few friendly games organized, but you can't judge anything by those friendly games. Um, there haven't been any, as far as I'm aware, any serious muscular injury to uh, to notice, So, which means that obviously there's some good preparation has been done, but it's completely different in a match environment. We, we have no idea. We, we genuinely yeah. do not have a clue. And another, another reason why we do not have a clue is that when we restart, there will be some very different games. Some of them will have a real real uh, impact on the way the season ends for those clubs some others will be strictly going through the motions yeah in fact most of them will be going straight going through the motions well by this stage in the season often many games are going through the motions aren't they? you're yes. mid-table you're safe from relegation but you know you're not going to get anywhere the anywhere near the places you're kind of spinning out the games aren't you yeah but there's a there's an added element to that you want to be very careful not to ask too much from your main players uh, which is mm -hmm. not normally what happens i mean what i mean by that is that you've got to think of the fact that should things go as they're supposed to go there will be a very short break between the end of this season and the beginning of the season after that very yeah. short break so if you're a club which says has got nothing to lose and nothing to win, really, uh, you'll want to protect your best players uh, because yeah. you're thinking already of next season, um, which you know is more serious for you. Uh, similarly, I, I, I take the example of Liverpool. Um, mm -hmm. Imagine that well, I wasn't going to raise it, Philip, but you forced us to. I didn't well, want to talk about Liverpool. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you win the t the title in a couple of games, which is absolutely possible. Then after don't jinx it. Okay, no, no, no. I don't think I will jinx it. Um, imagine that you you've got the title. Uh, you can't celebrate it, which is already very sad. Uh, you'll have to wait until September and October to have a parade or anything, like that, which is very, very sad. So it's hmm. a okay. But you're Jurgen Klopp. Okay, 
You've just won the title. Um, you've got these players who are worth 150 million pounds on your on your books. Only you now have to play what seven games, mm-hmm. okay? Which are completely meaningless because you've already got the title. Are you going to put Mohamed Salah in from the start? Are you going to put Sadio Mane? If Virgil mm. van Dijk has a little bit mm, of a you know twinge in his hamstring, you would risk him if it were an important game. But this time you won't do it. No. Mm. And what is valid for Liverpool is valid for almost other other clubs as soon as they will have achieved what they wanted to achieve. And of course, you'll tell me it's the same in every season. I say no, it's not the same in every season because this time, the risks you run by ha- asking players to overplay is much greater because we do not know how their bodies will react to an enforced rest of three months, which they have never gone through before unless those who were injured. And when you are injured, you go in slowly. You know, you go back slowly. So we're in a very strange situation. That's Actually, I was talking yeah. to a, a physio of a head physio of a Premier League club about a month and a half ago and about this this very problem. And he said to me, exactly that, he said, it's a bit like having a staff or a squad of 30 players, all of whom have been injured. And you've all got to face them in for the same time. He said, that's pretty difficult. <laughs> mm. uh, so we'll, we'll see. But honestly, um, I, I'm not expecting miracles. The absence of crowds as well uh, will have a huge impact as I do believe that you know it's it's particularly important in the Premier League especially with the role of away fans it's it's we do not quite know what to expect to be absolutely yeah. honest I don't think we can use the Bundesliga as an example of what to expect even though I hope it's the case and that the games are of the same level as what we're seeing in the in the German League and which has been to be honest I, I mean I think completely unemotional uh, non-engaging, yeah. but in terms of technical uh, prowess uh, and physical engagement, has been pretty good. Mm. One thing that, that is kind of preying on my mind is that you know we've all known great players who've been absolutely on fire, and then a little thing happens. Maybe it's an injury, maybe it's a result that goes the wrong way, and the knock to the confidence can send them on a downward spiral from which they never recover. Yeah, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, you know, my team Liverpool. This is the greatest time to watch them since I was twelve. Right. Yes, <laughs> we felt you know right up until the right until until the enforced break. It was like this is historic. This is, I think, what the Anfield Rap podcast said. You know, this these are the mighty Reds, and this is the greatest time to watch them. And then it stops, and you kind of think, well, if it's if it's really if it's doing that to me, what's it doing to Mane, Firmino, Salah? What's it doing to Allison? Are they, you know are they going to come back with the same? mental toughness and is that true of all of the players that we're looking at here it's funny you, you know, mentioned uh, that i'm sorry i'm interrupting you because i was talking to one of your former players about about this very point yesterday i was talking mm-hmm. to stefan Ancho, whom you remember ah, who was a wonderful stefan central defender of the uh, 2001 team in particular and mm-hmm. um, that's one of the things that he said he said i have no idea how these players will react mentally of a break of that yeah. length he said it's impossible to tell. He's, he's obviously spoken to a few guys. They don't know either. So it yeah. might be that, yes, uh, it does have an impact on their performance, their level of performance. I mean, especially when yeah. you don't have the crowd to push you when, when you wish it were there to push you. And, uh, I mean, this is hmm. so weird because the first game, come on, this should have been a huge game, this Merseyside derby. Yeah. And it might be that the occasion of the game is such that 
the players somehow find the energy and um, that they wouldn't have found you know, in different circumstances. That might actually be one of the saving graces of uh, this particular fixture, even though I think there are many people who are worried that it might, um, it's perhaps not ideal to have that game to restart. <laughs> you've got to restart it with something. <laughs> yeah, you've got to restart with something. But let's say that, you know, maybe not a Merseyside derby at Goodison, you know, when we're in, still in a semi-lockdown where you can't have public, um, you know, meetings and so forth. And, well, there'll be quite a few people on the edge of their chairs, I would imagine, and of the, uh, on that particular afternoon. But there you go. That's the way it will be. Yeah, and you can't even watch it in the pub and you're shouting in the pub. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, this yeah. is no good to me. Do you, do you, just before we wrap up, do you expect, I mean, fans will always find their their kind of counter-logical reasons to believe why either their team was robbed or why, you know, things totally unfair. Up until uh, the lockdown happened, I was hearing fans of other clubs going, well, this, this is, you know, it's a tainted title. It won't count. It's not the same because, because VAR has ruined football. Do you expect at the end of this, whoever wins the title, whoever it may be, yes. the other fans will be saying, well, of course, it's not legitimate, is it really? Because it, it was a weird season. They should have cancelled it. Oh, I'm sure some fans will say that. Uh, I've got I've got quite a few Everton fans among my friends, so you can imagine the kind of things I've been hearing. You're a very kind man, Philip. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you can imagine what I've been hearing. Uh, yeah. But I I don't think anybody will think that the title is not legitimate. Uh, I think that that would be completely absurd, given the way that Liverpool have gone about their business throughout the season so far. But unfortunately, yes, the title will be tainted, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about that because it won't be celebrated as it should be celebrated. It won't mm-hmm. be won in the way it should be won. It won't be won in front in front of Liverpool fans. There will not be a parade at the time. And there will always be this, um, I mean, it's not an interrogation, but this, this uh, little asterisk next to that particular season when people list the number of titles that Liverpool have won and they come to 2019-2020, there'll be a little asterisk next to it and a footnote explaining how exactly that title was won. So I wouldn't say it won't count, it will count and it will be a magnificent title and in many ways it will be one of the most extraordinary achievements of this club throughout his history. But what should have been, and I think you'll agree with me, before this happened, what should and would have been probably the greatest title Liverpool had ever won in England, mm-hmm. I'm not talking in Europe, in England, will mm-hmm. not be. I don't think it would be considered as such because of the circumstances. And also because we have to remember that quite a few people who support Liverpool will have lost their lives in these three months. And um, yeah. so families will have been hurt in Liverpool as they've been elsewhere in the country. So it it won't be a year. It's not a year or a season like any other. And because of that, it won't be a title like any other. I will not be having anybody denying it, though. If it happens, if it happens, it might not happen. I'm not jinxing it. I'm not jinxing <laughs> it yet. Before we go, we've got one special request from our, our producer, Jacob, who's a Newcastle United fan. Oh, my goodness. The Newcastle takeover is rumbling along, rumbling yeah, along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, How do you expect that to shake uh, out? I, I, I'm not surprised at all about it. I was one of the very unpopular journalists. I think we were three uh, <laughs> who at the time when it was announced the deal was done kept saying it isn't done, just you wait and on and on and on. And I, I, I'm actually at the moment, I, I thought for a long time it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen soon. Then I thought oh, it's 50-50. Then I'm thinking now, the more it goes on, 
And the more is exposed in the trial that is taking place at the moment, uh, in which uh, Amanda mm-hmm. Stavely, of course, uh, is one of the central characters, the more happens and is revealed there, uh, the more it is going to affect the uh, takeover. Uh, one thing I would say as well is that the Saudis, um, who are 80% of, of, the, uh, you know, of this consortium, absolutely detest having things put out in the public domain as it is mm-hmm. now. Um, it is not the way that Saudi um, Saudi government pursues its own affairs usually. Uh, they like to have everything done very, very quietly. And the same goes for Mike Ashley. Um, mm-hmm. Remember, Mike Ashley, when the last um, takeover bid failed, which was also fronted by, and I say fronted deliberately, by Amanda Stavely, he said, mm-hmm. the chances are, if you hear about a deal being done in the media before the deal is actually done, is that the deal will not going, is not going to happen. And um, that is now, I think there is a real chance uh, that the deal is not going to happen. I think as well, the intervention of um, uh, the Qataris was extremely uh, timely as far as they're concerned in their you know, proxy war against the Saudis and the Emiratis. Uh, when they mm. wrote to the Premier League and to the Premier League clubs explaining why exactly they shouldn't allow uh, a Saudi-backed bid to be successful. And and for all of these reasons, I, I the doubts I had two and a half months ago, I still have them, but even stronger. That's the way I look Ooh. at it. But to pacify your Newcastle supporting friend, <laughs> I genuinely do not think that should this particular bid fall through, and it might still go through, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, but it is in danger. Should it go? Should it not go through? I know of two other bids which would step in, and um, ah. so the the saga would rumble on and on. Yes, it, as as with all of these things, it's never going to stop. No, Philip O'Claire, thank you so much for joining us on your Sunday afternoon. What are you most from a footballing perspective, despite all of the the stuff you've you've, you've set out in in this podcast? What are you most looking forward to from a footballing perspective from this? Is it possible to pull out things that you're going to enjoy? Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to having a reason to enjoy it. That's what I'm hoping for. That I'm actually going to enjoy it more than I think I'm going to. If you see what I mean, um, mm-hmm. because to be honest, otherwise there isn't much to look forward to. I mean, pretty much every <laughs> pretty much everything is foregone conclusion at the moment. It's not exactly. Uh, I mean, unless of course Liverpool starts losing all its games, and then we might have an interesting start. Stop! Of the stop, season. stop! Stop! No! Shut up! <laughs> no! You're not saying that. We're going to take that out of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, we'll leave it in. Philip, it's been fantastic talking to you. Always good to have you on the show. Please do come on again. And uh, listeners, thanks for listening. Remember, there's a new Bunker Daily on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays with the main panel show on Wednesdays. Thanks for listening. I'm off to go and place some more candles around my Jurgen Klopp shrine and (laughs) pray for justice to be done. You know you all want it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold, and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.